We're going to continue our series today, and the series is called Baggage. Now, who's ready to talk about baggage? Okay, thank you, Pastor Roland. I appreciate you, bro. Maybe we, you can go talk on one of those coffee tables outside. Everybody else is like, we don't talk about baggage. No, no. <laughs> We're going to talk about baggage today, but before we talk about it, let's pray and ask God to move in our midst. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your presence, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to open up our hearts and receive everything you have for us. Lord, show us what it is that we might be missing as followers of Jesus and help us to find that thing so we can have Christian lives that don't fail or falter, but that move forward by your grace. Holy Spirit, come. We give you every moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Now, in the Every Nation family, we just talked about the Every Nation family. We had people from campus ministries across the West Coast come over. Our friends from Reno actually drove an RV. That was pretty cool. <laughs> but they're only eight hours away. We're, we're 19 hours away, so it's not the same thing. Uh, and it was great. But in the Every Nation family, we believe in discipleship. Now, a disciple is someone who follows or believes in Jesus, and discipleship is the process by which we grow as believers in Christ. And in the Every Nation household, in this church, you might have heard it, we believe that disciples are people who do three things. Now, pop quiz time. I have for you a handshake after service, if you can get the answer. I didn't bring anything. So, what are three things that disciples do? Follow DJ, thank you. What else? Fish, yes! We're getting it. I was worried. I was worried. One last thing. Follow fish and fellowship. We believe that disciples are people who follow God, fish for people, and fellowship with the church. And of course, we get this from Matthew chapter 419. In Matthew 419, Jesus Christ is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he happens upon a group of people. And here's what the Bible tells us about his encounter with them and what happens. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So everything we believe about discipleship can be discovered in this first call to the first disciples. First, Jesus says, follow me. And the very idea that we can follow God and have a relationship with him is revolutionary. Because throughout the Old Testament, a relationship with God was something done through an intermediary. But because of Jesus, who became our intermediary, who became our mediator, we are able to have that relationship with God. Now, our sin separates us from God, but Jesus Christ came, paid the price for our sin on the cross, rose again, and because he rose again, proving he's God's son, he's able to offer us the gift of salvation and forgiveness to anyone who believes in him. So we follow God, and we get to know him in this relationship as God talks to us. And the primary way God talks to us is through the Bible. And the primary way we talk to God is through prayer. This is why in Kids Church we sing the song, read your Bible and pray every day, and you will grow grow, grow. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean physically, otherwise I'd be a little bit taller. But we can grow in this relationship with God. We can also be aware of his presence throughout the day through things like worship music, through the books we read, through the podcasts we listen to. God wants us to follow him in personal relationship. God wants you, each of you, to follow him in personal relationship, not dependent on someone else, but dependent on Christ alone. We're called to follow God and we're called to fish for people. And this doesn't mean that we bring our fishing poles to the mall and just try to catch people. It's like that Geico commercial. So I actually did something like this once when I was a kid. 
uh, me and two of my cousins, the cousins you're thinking of, we, uh, uh, we went to a shopping mall with trolleys. And if you're from Oahu, Waikela Shopping Center. And we're driving around in the trolleys, and we take fishing line, and we take a $10 bill, premium stuff. And we tape the $10 bill to the fishing line. We throw it over the edge of the trolley. And every time we came to a stop and there was a crowd of people, we'd kind of just tug it along to make it look like the $10 bill was blowing the breeze. And people would chase it, and they eventually caught us. But that's fishing for men. Not the kind of fishing Jesus was talking about, though. Jesus spoke to a group of fishermen whose job it was to catch as many fish as possible, bring them into the boat, and sell them on the shore because people need food. Well, as fishers of men, we share our faith in Jesus with as many people as possible. We bring them into the kingdom of God because people need Jesus for salvation. That's what it means to fish for men. And of course, we fellowship with the church. When Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, he's, he's speaking to a group of people. So the you is plural. You guys, y'all. Shout out to Tracy. Is Tracy here? Welcome back, Johnny, by the way. Thank you for your service, sir. Johnny's back. Jesus wants to call all of us in community to walk with him. No one has ever been called to follow Jesus alone. And that might be easier than ever because we have access to streaming services. And if we don't like the streaming service, we just switch to a different one. And while that's not a bad thing and it can be a good thing, it also falls short of the fullness of how God has called us to follow him. We're called to follow Jesus together. So disciples are people who are called to follow God, fish for people, and fellowship with the church. But I wonder if that's enough. Is it enough to follow fish and fellowship? Let's take one of the disciples and look at his life. Simon Peter. Now, Simon, later named Peter, we'll talk about that. Uh, He was one of the very first people present that day as Jesus walked along the shore of Galilee. He was one of the first people to be called by Christ. So he literally followed Jesus in the most plain and literal sense, like he followed physical Jesus as he walked the earth. What a privilege. How incredible. And Simon Peter took it a step further because he followed Jesus out of a boat and onto water. Now, we give Peter a hard time for this because he eventually sank and got wet, but I promise you this guy walked on water longer than all of us combined. And he followed Jesus to the point that he was actually the first person to recognize Jesus as the Son of God. This is when Jesus says to him, no longer do I call you Simon, but now I call you Peter. And on this rock I'll be my church, etc. He follows God and he fishes for people. It was actually the disciples of Jesus who baptized people. And Jesus empowered them instead of Jesus doing all the baptisms himself. So Peter would have been part of that. And on at least two occasions, Jesus, while he's with them, sends the disciples out. First the 12 and then the 72 to go preach the kingdom of God. And as they do so, he gives them the authority to heal and cast out demons. So here's Peter healing people, casting out demons, and telling them that Jesus is here and the kingdom of God has arrived. Peter's fishing for people. And of course, he fellowshiped with other believers. He literally lived with the other disciples. I'm sure they got on each other's nerves. Peter and John kind of had a thing, but that's another sermon. And yet, they're experiencing all these incredible things together. Jesus feeding upwards of 10,000 people, 5,000 men, maybe as many 15,000, 20,000 women and children in total. Then feeding 4,000 men, 
and then raising people from the dead, and then making the blind see, then casting out demons, and causing the lame to walk. They're seeing incredible things in community. Peter is a man who followed God, fished for people, and fellowshiped with the church, fellowship with the believers. Was it enough for Peter? Not when it was time for Jesus to go to the cross. So as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he's telling the disciples about what he has to do. He's also telling them that somebody has to betray him. And finally, when Peter says, I'll never betray you, Lord. I'll stand with you to the end. Peter's loyal. Peter's faith is probably what he sounded like. I don't have an actual recording, but that's, that's just what I hear. So he's telling Jesus all these great things, talking all this great game. And Jesus turns to him and says, before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times. You should pray that you don't fall into this temptation. He didn't. And we know what happened. So here's the final denial. The last time Peter denied Christ. This is Mark 14, 71 and 72. But he, Peter, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you would deny me three times. He broke down and wept. Peter promised that he would die with Jesus, and instead of dying with Jesus, he denied Jesus. He followed, fished, and fellowshiped, but it wasn't enough because there were internal issues inside him, inside his soul that were left unresolved. One of those issues was that his will was too weak. His will I mean, obviously, he didn't go and die with Jesus like he said, but it's kind of a high bar. I'm going to die with you. But then Jesus said, how about you pray so that God gives you the strength to follow through? And Peter's will wasn't even strong enough to do that. He fell asleep. And then Peter, who's seen all these incredible things, miracles, signs, wonders, even performed them himself, in spite of everything he had seen, he was still afraid. He was afraid for his life, so much so that he would deny Jesus when Jesus was within earshot. Following God, fishing for people, fellowshipping with the church, they were not enough for Peter. They're not enough for us either. Because Christians fail, privately and publicly. I think a lot of us have heard of famous Christian leaders who had famous Christian failures. One of them was a man that I used to look up to. His name was Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels uh, led Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. Um, they had a model of church that I appreciated. They, at one point, actually became the biggest church in America. Bill Hybels also started what's called the Global Leadership Summit, streaming in multiple nations. It had hundreds of thousands of concurrent viewers every time it happened each year. He did good things for God's kingdom. He also hid sexual sin for decades. Here's something that was reported on by an independent investigative board, and uh, it was reported again in Christianity Today. Let me quote. A group of former Willow Creek pastors and staff accused Hybels of a pattern of sexual harassment and misconduct, including suggestive remarks, invitations to his hotel room, prolonged hugs, and an unwanted kiss. spite of the great things he did, still failed publicly. Another man, Mark Driscoll, was actually 
probably my favorite preacher. Mark Driscoll started Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington, which grew to a weekly attendance of 15,000 people. Um, one of the fastest growing churches in America. In fact, I think they were number one at one point. Uh, he also started a church planting network, similar to every nation, in its values and beliefs called Acts 29. And Acts 29 did incredible things. They brought the gospel. They brought churches to nations around the world. And Mark Driscoll didn't do any of the, what we call big three sins for pastors. Sexual sin, like hypos, financial sin, or heresy. None of that. But Mark Driscoll was extremely proud. So much so that it caused him to be extremely harsh. I'll quote again. This is from his former board of overseers, overseers at Mars Hill. Mark Driscoll had been guilty of arrogance, responding to conflict with a quick temper and harsh speech, and leading the staff and elders in a domineering manner, but had never been charged with any immorality, illegality, or heresy. Most of the charges involved attitudes and behaviors reflected by a domineering style of leadership. So as a result of this, Mars, uh, Mark Driscoll was removed from his position as Acts 29 president. They're still doing great things today. And he resigned from Mars Hill Church. Now, a couple years later, he started another church. And I thought, hey, that's great. He went through a process of repentance and restoration. He's doing it the right way. But recently, allegations have been coming out that the same thing's happening. And over 40 staff members from Mars Hill, including his leadership tripod, his executive pastor and the other teaching pastor publicly signed on asking him to publicly repent and go through a period of restoration before leading in ministry again. The goal is restoration. He hasn't responded yet. So, this list can go on. Carl Lentz, Hillsong, New York. Ravi Zacharias, whose ministry meant a lot to me when I was coming back to God in college. I met him. And while I'm only naming men, it's because I know their stories off the top of my head. I didn't have to do much research for this. Women can do this too. The issue here is that there are unresolved parts of our soul. And even if we do great things for God's kingdom, even if we positively impact people's lives, if there's something that doesn't change on the inside of us, it's just not enough. In their context, they followed fish and fellowship, but it wasn't enough for them. And this doesn't just happen publicly, it happens privately. I have friends that I've known since I started following Jesus again in 2008, full-time ministry since 2012, and I've walked with some of them. I've led with some of them. I even worked with some of them because they were professional Christians too. It's kind of weird when you think about that, right? I'm, like as a pastor, I'm a professional Christian. I hope I don't suck. But thank you, thank you. I appreciate that moment of self-reflection on this stage. Now, I walked with them, and I know for a fact that they followed God. I was there. They fished for people. They fellowship with the church. Some of them led at a high capacity. Some of them preached like me. But something inside eventually caused them to trip up. They needed something more, too. Now, of course, I had front row seats. To another public Christian failure, it's more personal than any other, any other one I could imagine. So let me talk to you about my dad. Greg Bolusan, my dad, was a pastor. The first person to pastor in every nation church in Las Vegas. 
also robbed a casino three times. How do you go from leading a church to leading a casino? I'm going to tell a short and simplified version of this. I'm about to tell you the better part of the last five years of our lives, so I have to shorten it. I'm going to leave out some finer details to protect people who might not be comfortable with me sharing it. But let me make it clear, we have nothing to hide. So if you really want to talk, come talk to me off the stage. 2013, my family leaves our home in Hawaii to go start an Every Nation Church here in this city, Las Vegas. It's called Grace Bible Church, Las Vegas. And people are genuinely, legitimately saved by God, healed, delivered. And the church is growing. And as the church starts growing, people start coming. And people start serving. Some of them who are here right now, the Gray family moved at around this time, and they heard about the church and got involved. DJ, who led worship today, came to be part of UNLV and study there, and he started to serve. Another person who came was a friend of ours named Noah, and he came. A few others came. Some of you know them, uh, Maka, Chelsea, Bryston, Kelly, and eventually Jerrica and I came in January of 2016. And at this point, things are moving at an upward trajectory. Everyone's excited. We're hopeful. We're looking at God do amazing things. One month after we move up here to Vegas, we have our first campus missions trip. We go out there together. Leah was on that trip. We walk around campus. Kelly and I meet Chris. And he's, he was wearing the same shoes that day that he's wearing right now. <laughs> and Chris and I are wearing the same shirt. <laughs> he's always had the best sense of style, man. That's Chris, drip, drippity drip, swaggity swag. So we meet Chris, incredible things are happening. And then tragedy strikes. There was an accident while Noah was home alone. He passed away. And everyone's heartbroken. Utterly and completely. And now my dad, who's leading the church, this is how he tells the story in retrospect. He doesn't know how to deal with the multiple pressures of a growing church and healing in his own soul after he lost someone who had become like a son to him. Now when we as Christians go through heartbreak, because we will, we should go to other people who can carry that burden with us or we can go to counseling, or we can talk to pastors, or there was plenty of help available to him, but for whatever reason, my dad didn't chose, choose to do it a healthy way. He chose to hide it all and revert to parts of his soul that had been unprocessed for years, going back to sin and bad habits that he hadn't touched for a long time. Some of these things that was ex were exposed to him as a child. So he's starting to sin, a little bit at a time. Nobody knows. After some time, Pastor Roland and myself and other people, we start to see, hey, maybe there's something wrong. Let's talk to him. And every time we talk to him, he would say, there's nothing wrong. He's okay. Let's keep going. But these secret sins snowballed into a secret life. And eventually, he dug himself a hole so deep that he, had to, he thought he had to rob a casino to get himself out of it as a last-ditch effort. Obviously, he failed. Now, it's worth noting that my mom, who's here, worked at that casino. And my dad actually used the inside information that he got from her in confidence to perform his actions. Now, 
multiple investigators obviously wanted to talk to her. She did that on multiple occasions. She's not in jail. They cleared her. She's right here. And it was unfortunate that you know, my, my dad betrayed our trust, a lot of us, who are still here, who kept going. Right now, he's at High Desert State Prison, serving out his sentence. Grace Bible Church Las Vegas dissolved. And in place of that, Every Nation Church Las Vegas, this church, was started under Pastor Roland's leadership with the help of John and Jackie, who never missed a beat. Vilma never ran away. This church started in crisis and chaos. Some churches start at zero. We started at like negative 10, bro. And we've been going forward ever since. You want to talk about following God? My dad had the faith to follow God away from the only home he ever knew. Fishing for men? Grace Bible Church Las Vegas was the fastest growing every nation church in the West. Number one. Fellowship with the church? A lot of the people in this room came into the every nation family under his leadership. My dad followed fished and fellowship like few ever do. And it wasn't enough. It's not enough. He needed something more. And so do we. We need God to go past the things that we do and into the core of who we are. We need spiritual formation. I want to go back to that scripture in Matthew chapter 419 because there's a part that I left out on purpose. And if we can find that part that I left out, because I missed it for years, I also think we'll find a part of the discipleship process that might be missing sometimes in the church today. And if we find that peace in the scripture, we'll also find hope for a Christian life that doesn't falter and doesn't fail. He answered, he said to them, follow me and I will make you. I will make you, I will make you. God make us. I will make you fishers of men. There's a little extra weight when Jesus says he's going to make us something. When Jesus walked with God the Father in eternity and God the Spirit, they made everything with their words. But that's not the kind of making he's talking about here. Because Jesus walked the earth and walked with an adopted father named Joseph. And as he walked with Joseph, he learned to make things out of wood. That's the making he's talking about. Joseph was a carpenter. And the Greek word for make in that instance refers to manufacturing and construction. Now, I don't do construction. I tried. I'm terrible at it. I can kind of do Ikea furniture. And I can tell you that when you construct something or manufacture something, you often have two options. You can make it fast or you can make it well. Because when you make something quick, you're going to take shortcuts. And when you take shortcuts, the work will be shoddy. And eventually the cracks and flaws are going to begin to show. And eventually the thing that you made might fall apart under pressure. And it'll fail to serve the purpose it was created for. On the other hand, you can make something well. And when you make something well, it takes strength, energy, and effort, especially when Jesus was a carpenter, because they didn't have any power tools. I promise you I can't make anything without power tools. On top of that, it takes time, and it takes being intentional. 
But the end result of making something well, even though it takes sweat and splinters, time and energy and effort, the end result is it's longer lasting. And it's well made, and it's purposeful, and it's beautiful. And when Jesus says he wants to make something out of us, that's what he means. He wants us to be made into his image the hard way. He wants to form us well. And that means that we need spiritual formation. But what does this spiritual formation mean? Sometimes when we want to understand something new in Scripture, the greatest place to start is in the greatest commandment. So let's look at Mark 12.30. Jesus said, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus, of course, quoted Deuteronomy 6.5, which said basically the same thing. Now, I always thought that this scripture was meant to highlight the different parts of a human being. Well, we have a heart, we have a soul, and we have a mind. And while that's not necessarily untrue, I don't think it's the main point of that passage anymore. Because in ancient language, repetition creates emphasis. It's repetition that tells us what the main point is. So in that passage, what's repeated? All. You shall love the Lord your God with all, and with all, and with all. Love the Lord your God with your all in all. And the rest of it is just created and and stated to form clarity around this idea, almost as if Jesus is expecting us to answer questions. Well, well, Jesus, what about my emotions? Yes, all. Well, Jesus, what about my thoughts? It's okay if I just think about things, right? Mm. Love the Lord your God with all. Well, Jesus, what about my family history? I had some things happen to me, and I don't know all. Well, Jesus, what about who I am as a person and my character and my personality and my strengths and my gifts and my passions and my dreams and my visions and my goals? All. You shall love the Lord your God with your all. Therefore, spiritual formation refers to the transformation of our inner being. Most of the things that Jesus stated, heart, soul, mind, it's inside. You can't see it. But that's what he wants. You can even make the case that's what he wants most. It's the transformation of our inner being through which we begin to look like Jesus more and love him more. And the goal of the spiritual formation is to look like him in all areas of our lives and love him with all we have. So if we're going to love him with everything we have, spiritual formation includes our emotional health and our mental health and our family history, and our past, and it includes our character formation, and it includes our growth as a person, and it includes even habits and sin. It includes all of that. God needs to address all of that. Spiritual formation helps us look like Jesus and love him more because following God, fellowshipping with the church, fishing for people, it's not enough. We need spiritual formation. We need it. Formation comes as God transforms us internally. Jesus led Peter through this journey of spiritual formation. The very fact that Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter is proof that God was bringing him on some kind of spiritual journey. And then Peter still denied Jesus. So after Jesus rises from the dead, he continues to bring Peter along this path of spiritual formation. And we have John chapter 21 there in your notes. I'll leave it out for the sake of time. 
But Jesus gives Peter three chances to reaffirm his love, one chance for every time Peter denied him. Because God wants to use every opportunity as a tool for our spiritual formation, as a tool to help us become more like Jesus. And God used the situation with my dad as a tool for my spiritual formation. I remember being stuck in traffic one day. And I'm stuck in traffic, knowing I can't move very fast, so I figured, let me pray. And this particular prayer wasn't very peaceful. It might have involved a lot of shouting. It's probably the angriest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. Top five for sure. And by the way, it's okay to be angry when we pray. God's not going to strike you dead. Just check the Psalms. Angry prayers. All day, every day. So I'm praying this prayer, and I'm talking to God about everything that's happening in my life, and I'm bringing up specific impacts in our lives, even specific people, and I feel like the Holy Spirit convicted me of my anger and my malice. Like, you're going to convict me? God, where were you to convict my dad? Why didn't you stop him? Why didn't you convict him? I have every right to be angry. As far as I can remember, I said this out loud. I probably looked pretty crazy to the people around me in traffic. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke gently in response, impressing upon me the thought that, yes, you do have a right to be angry, just like Jesus had a right to come down off the cross. But Jesus chose to be meek. And we've said it before, meekness isn't weakness. It's the reservation of strength for purpose. And in that moment... God the Spirit wanted to take my anger and malice and teach me to be a little more meek, just like Jesus. And in the car, I experienced spiritual formation. One other thing that I experienced, I can tell this story for years. There's so much. You're seeing the tip of the iceberg today. But one thing that I felt and experienced in the aftermath of this event was great shame. I tried my best, mostly succeeding, to live my life with a great deal of integrity. And then, through no fault of my own, it felt like suddenly my name was dirty. On top of this, when this is happening, my wife Jerrica, oh, Jerrica and Ali, uh, Ali's sick again, by the way, <laughs> they said hello. At preschool immunity, man, it's being developed. So this is when Jericho is pregnant with Allie. And I'm about to pass on my name to my child. I didn't want to pass on a dirty name to my child. And I seriously considered changing our names. Really thought about it. Looked into the process. And as I was looking into this one day and coming to God in prayer, it was like the Lord reminded me that I'm more identified by my Heavenly Father than by my earthly father. That it's what he thinks of me and says about me that matters more than what the world says about me. And that when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just take my sin, he also scorned my shame. So the shame wasn't mine to hold on to. Side note, it's not anyone's to hold on to. The only reason why I can continue in ministry today is because God met me there. And I experienced spiritual formation thanks to the presence of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. So continue forward in life, and God is transforming me, and I go through this process of spiritual formation, and it includes counseling, by the way. 
If you want to find a pastor who will vouch for counseling, come talk to me. I will give it my 110% vouching. Maybe not each counselor, but the process in general. Include books to be intentional. And God, he starts changing my heart. So I start from, once my dad is in jail, I, I go from not wanting to talk to him, but picking up the phone because I need to appease people. And I go from feeling obligated to being okay with it to eventually, as God forms me, looking forward to talking to him. If anyone's curious, we talk at least twice a week over the phone. He's still in jail. <laughs> in case anybody was wondering. So we start talking, and I think my dad hears this change in me. And in one particular day, when I least expected it, he says to me, you know, son, I just want to apologize again. And I used to blame people, and I used to point fingers, but this was my responsibility. It was my choice. I'm not passing the buck anymore. I'm sorry. And I want to fix my relationship with God, but I don't know how. So my dad says to me, would you pastor me? Will you be my pastor? And everything in me wanted to shout, no! What are you thinking? Of course not! Don't you have a chaplain for this? I can't do that. But God would only allow one word to come out of my mouth. So I said yes. Now, I don't know how to pastor my dad. So I brought him through the same books that I went through. And we started with, and if you want to write stuff down because you're excited about this content, we started with Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. You can talk to me if you need this afterwards. We, then we went to Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. It's like my favorite book of all time now after the Bible. Top three. And as we processed it, my dad began to share things about his life that I honestly didn't want him to share. He had never been that transparent with me before, even when he was doing ministry. Now, for the rest, maybe for the rest of my life, I'm going to have to view a lot of what he does with skepticism. But I can tell you, after 10 years of experience in full-time ministry, most of it being a pastor, when someone is completely transparent, opening up the depths of their soul to tell you things they don't want you to know, that's what the start of repentance looks like. So I now view this with cautious hope and optimism. Because when this happened, I thought my children would never know their grandpa. And now it looks like that can happen. My daughter looks forward to talking to her grandpa Greg on the phone. And I look forward to giving the phone to her. And while relationship building is gradual, just like our relationship with God, it's possible because we experienced spiritual formation. Following, fishing, and fellowshipping, they're not quite enough by themselves. We need to go a step further. Because for the most part, following God, fishing for people, and fellowshipping with the church, by nature of the words that describe them, focus on the things that we do. And we as Christians can ask, what do I do for God? What can I do for God? What should I do for God? And that's a good question. We should ask it, but it's not the best question. Because we're not human doings, we're human beings. We need to be so that we can do. And therefore, the best question that we should ask is, who am I becoming? 
That's where spiritual formation begins. Let's ask a new question. Who am I becoming in God? God doesn't just want us to do good Christian things. God wants us to become good Christian people. Because if we become good Christian people, we'll do good Christian things more often. And becoming a good Christian begins and ends with becoming more like Jesus. And like we said, God wants to use every opportunity, every opportunity, the good ones and the bad ones, especially the bad ones, to help us become more like Jesus. We love, 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 love Romans chapter 8, verse 28. But sometimes we leave out the context of Romans 8, 29. So let's read them together. 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Love that one. Who loves that scripture? We love it. 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God wants to use every season, every situation, every circumstance, and every response to them to help us become more like Christ. They're tools for spiritual formation. So when things happen and we respond and we look at our response, we start to ask, who am I becoming? When I'm annoyed and irritated because it's spring forward, and I'm short with my family because I lost an hour of sleep, and I answer with that irritation, who am I becoming? And when there's gossip, and I know I shouldn't indulge, but it's cool and fun, and I want to be involved, and I want to be a part, who am I becoming? And when nobody's around me at work, and I'm looking at a shortcut, and nobody will find out, who am I becoming? Or when I'm alone, and nobody knows what I'm doing or what I'm thinking, who am I becoming? See, it can hurt to look into the depths of our soul this way. But there's also hope on the other side of it. Because everything can be flipped on its head. When everything around me is stressful and chaotic and I'm not in control of any of it, but I follow God anyway, with a spirit of joy and grace and peace, who am I becoming? And when everything around me is unresolved and I don't have answers, but I'm going to trust God, who am I becoming? And when no one around me could ever find out about these compromises that I hide in the dark, but I choose to honor God with everything that I have, who am I becoming? We can become more like Jesus. And even if our lives don't get any easier, we can get stronger and more prepared to endure. You can think about it like this. I used to run cross-country. It was many years and pounds ago. And if I were to run a mile, I haven't tried, I'm a little afraid, I would honestly be happy with 10 minutes. I would be astounded at 8. Seven's probably impossible. Seven used to be the bare minimum. But I once ran a mile in less than 5 minutes and 30 seconds. I actually did it twice. Now, 
a mile hasn't changed. One mile was still one mile. I changed. I'm um, in shape, but a different shape. (laughs) And that's why a mile is harder, but if I were to get in better shape and train and focus and exercise, run the mile faster. It's not because the mile got shorter. It's because I got stronger. That's the end goal of spiritual formation. That we would look like Jesus in all areas of our lives. Including our mental health, including our emotional health, including our relationships, including the way we identify the past so that we can move forward. In our relationship and our view of ourself. Like, who am I? We, we should be like Jesus in our self-worth. We should be like Jesus in all these areas that are hidden deep inside us. So that we can love him with it. And we can look like him there. You know, following God, fishing for people, fellowshipping with the church, they're incredible things that we can do, should do, and we're actually commanded to do. But by themselves, they are not enough. Because we all have something inside us. For some of us, it's an unresolved issue in our past. For some of us, it might be a harmful thought pattern in the way we view ourselves. It might be sin or a need for character growth. Whatever it might be, we have something inside us that if we left it unchecked, will trip us up some way later down the road. So we need to allow God to go past the service, past follow, fish, and fellowship, and into formation. So that we can have hope for a Christian life that doesn't falter, doesn't fail. Just moves forward as we're formed into the image of Jesus Christ. And this spiritual formation begins when we change our mindset and adopt a new question. Let's also start asking, who am I becoming in God? Who are you becoming in God? What's going on in your life? What is God trying to teach you? What is he trying to take so he can make you more like Jesus? Answer that question this week. Because we need spiritual formation. Let's pray. God, thank you. That by your grace... You love us as we are. You love us more than we could possibly imagine. And you look past our soul into the deep and dark places that no one else can see. Into our past, into our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups. And you see that and you want that and you want to change that so we can love you with all we have and look like you in all areas of our lives. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts and teach our minds to ask a new question. Who am I becoming? But God, don't leave us in a place of condemnation because that's not what you came to do. I pray that you would take us past that place and move us to an area of conviction so that we can see how we become more like Christ and in that process find hope for who we're becoming. God, I thank you that in this room I can look at people one by one and see the incredible growth 
and progress that you've had in our lives. And while following you is never a straight line forward and up, we can continue to move forward in progress because of your grace. We thank you, Lord, that by your grace, we're already becoming new people. We're already becoming a new church. We're already having new marriages and new relationships because we're becoming more like Christ. God, I pray that you would help us become more like you. One more thing as we pray. If you're here today and you want that personal relationship so you can follow God, but you've never started that, or you want to start that and commit that again today, would you just raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Why don't we go ahead and pray with this person who raised their hand. Repeat after me. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that he is your son, that he lived for me, died for me, and rose again. Help me to follow you. I give you my life from now on. Help me to become like you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we give a hand to the people who decided to follow Jesus this morning? If you want to learn more about that relationship with Jesus, go ahead and talk to somebody in your small group. Get connected to a life group leader. Love to help you do that. But as we move forward this week, let's ask a new question. And let's ask God how in each and every situation and circumstance of our life, God is using it as a tool for spiritual formation so we can become more like Jesus. That's really. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Can we give Pastor Matt a hand? I just feel the need to respond a little bit because we peeled the curtains back and we showed you guys who we are as a people group and as a church. And so I so appreciate Pastor Matt's honesty uh, and his, um, you know, just being intentional and transparent. That is the perfect example of what God is looking for. And that's what God can work with. When it comes to forming us to be able to endure and to overcome, it takes that kind of honesty. And so I just want to say this without taking too much more time. I want to thank you and your family for your leadership, for stopping your life to come over here. And so I want you guys to know there is nobody else I would rather be working with than this family and this church. This is your leadership team. This is what we've been through. But this is what God can do with a life if we're honest with him. Amen. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the leadership. And Lord, thank you for restoration. And even as we sang that song today, Lord, your faithfulness, Lord, your promises, Lord, we just can't get past it because that's who you are. Father, that's the God we serve, and we're so thankful. And Father, we look forward to good things for this church, every nation, Church Las Vegas, and what you're going to do with us and in this city. So Lord, start now. Start with us. In your heart, just say, start with me. Start with me. And Father, we look forward to good things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.